Hello, and welcome to episode 103 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. To start us off, a warm welcome to Elisa C. and Billy R. to The Modern Manager community. We are building a community of modern managers who support each other, and I would love for you to be a part of it. Starting at just $2 a month, you can join us on Slack, where we talk about challenges and problem solve and offer support to one another. And then there are additional membership levels that include other perks like guest bonuses, episode guides, group, and one-on-one coaching. I hope you will consider joining us. So to learn more, go to themodernmanager.co slash join. Now, today's guest is Michael O'Brien. Michael is the Chief Shift Officer at Peloton Coaching and Consulting. He elevates successful corporate leaders by preventing bad moments from turning into bad days. He has shared his inspirational story and transformation from human doer to human being on the TEDx stage with the multiple Fortune 500 companies, Fast Company, Real Simple, ABC, and so many wonderful podcasts just like this one. Michael and I talk about how to show up every day as the leader or manager that you want to be. He shares his major wake-up call and what he's learned about how to put an end to having bad days. We get into mindsets and intentionality and building yourself a peloton, which, if you're not familiar with cycling, is a tribe of bikers. Side note, I now understand why the exercise company is called Peloton, and I am a huge fan, so if you are also a Peloton rider, you can look me up. I'm Mamie KS, and we can follow each other's rides. All right, now here's our conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. I want to start by telling you that when I was a kid, and now my parents always say that I don't have any bad days because each person was allotted a certain number of bad days in their life. And I just had all of mine back to back as a child. And so now I only have good days. So I'm excited to meet somebody else who tries to only have good days. Oh, that's so awesome. I love that. Oh, that's, a, that's such an awesome story. So it's good to be on your show. I'm a big fan of it. So I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Me too. All right. So obviously you are an expert in not having bad days. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about how you came to this idea that that was even a thing that you could do, that you could control having good days and having bad days? Sure. So we'll go back to what I call my last bad day, which is July 11th, 2001. And I was at a typical offsite meeting that someone in middle management would go to back in those days. These types of meetings are a little bit harder to come by today, but it was a out on Monday, come back on Friday type of offsite team building. And I had this brilliant idea that I was going to bring my bike out. I was going to ride my bike in New Mexico. That's where the meeting was, north of Albuquerque, across New Mexico, off the states I've ridden my bike in, have a goal of riding in all 50 states. And on the morning of July 11th, I came around to Bend. I had this awesome route mapped out, two-mile loop. And I thought it was going to be like the smart one in the meeting. Because the meeting was like death by PowerPoint, because that's usually how some of these meetings go. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go in the meeting with all of my colleagues and be like, I rode my bike outside. What were you guys doing? And I came around the bend 
and a Ford Explorer had crossed into my lane, fully in my lane, going about 40 miles an hour based on what the police estimate, and hit me head on. And I remember, I mean, everything about that morning, the sound of me hitting his front of his truck, the Ford Explorer, into the windshield, I went, the screech of his brakes, and then the thought I made as I came to the asphalt below, and that knocked me unconscious. And then when I regained consciousness, I knew, I knew my life was in, in question based on how the EMTs were behaving. And clearly I was in the worst pain ever of my life. And I asked a question that only another cyclist can truly appreciate. I asked the EMTs like, how's my bike? And <laughs> they looked at me and they shook their head and they're like, your bike's fine. You got to focus on you. And to make a long story short, when they put me on the helicopter, the medevac to take me to Albuquerque, the 19 minute flight to the only trauma one center in the state, I remember making a commitment that if I live, I would stop chasing happiness. Because before that, as a marketing director for my company's flagship drug, and just sort of following the script I thought guys had to follow going up through college and professional life, that I'd be happy when I got certain external merit batches. Like I'd be happy when I got promoted or made more money or bought that car or that meeting was going to be over. And I realized in that moment, sort of these bargains you make when you're like dealing with big challenges. And my challenge was life and death was like, I'm going to stop chasing happiness. And the next four days after I got to the hospital, I don't remember anything at all. My anesthesiologist did a great job. I was in the ICU. I was on a ventilator. So when we hear news about current day stuff with Corona and ventilators in the ICU, like I know that world fairly well. And I came out of the ICU and they painted a picture the doctors did of a life of dependency, a life of uncertainty, a life of more pain and suffering. Like the old normal vanished in that moment. And the new normal was all murky and fuzzy. And that stressed me out. And, you know, fast forward, I finally realized through a a mentor who caught me at a very low moment. And I was because I was trying to put on this like brave face as guys do like, oh no, this is good that we're going to make lemonade out of this moment. And I was saying that, but I wasn't believing that. And then a mentor called and he was like, hey, how are you doing? And I just unloaded. And he's like, you know what, Michael, all the events in your life are neutral until you label them. And at first I was like, what are you talking about? Like I was all bandaged up and stitched up and IVs in me. And I was in no mood for like a Jedi mind trick. And he went on to further say, nothing has meaning until you give it meaning. And he's like, listen, you're painting yourself this picture of you as a victim. And that's a choice. But you can choose to look at this accident completely different. And you can use it as a catalyst to make something new, to create a better tomorrow, to truly make lemonade out of all the lemons around you. So instead of playing the victim, you might be able to play the victor. So you have some choice in all this, Michael, and don't forget that you do. And so, you know, a few weeks later, I decided, well, okay, I know I have choice. I was able to digest and really start to process the message. And I made this day my last bad day. And I realized that as long as I have gratitude in my life and some other things that we'll talk about, that I might have bad moments during my days. I might have challenging, sad or angry moments in my day. But at the end of the day, it's not a bad day because there are building blocks that I can use to create a better tomorrow. And I think we need that message current day 
more frequently than maybe we're getting it as we go through what we're going through with Corona. So your story is so incredible. And, you know, most of us, you know, thank God are not going to be in a situation nearly as drastic as the one that you lived through. So I'm wondering, like, how can the rest of us find that same kind of commitment to saying, all right, the life I'm living does not need to be the life that I have or the way that I approach my life does not need to be the way that I'm approaching it. Is it just like, okay, you got to get to the point where you're like, I'm done and I'm ready to invest in something else because change is hard. That's why it takes big moments to get us to actually change. Yeah, I look at that in this moment in particular as we all hit the pause button. And I look at my accident as the universe, God, or whomever send me one big pause button because I was grinding it out before my accident, head down, you know, doing what I thought I had to do. And in hindsight, the universe probably sent me a few messages and that was a few memos, a few emails, DMs, text messages, however the universe communicates with us, right? And I blew past them. I was too busy grinding it out on my hamster wheel. And then they were like, you know what? You keep on ignoring us, Michael. We're going to send you a message you cannot ignore. We're going to give you the ultimate pause button. And certainly it was. And I think right now, this moment that we have with Corona is one big pause button for our greater society and for all of us personally, because we are picking up on things that we may have forgotten about, just like the value of family and the value of connection and the value of just breathing and pausing through these moments and maybe the value of prioritizing better. So I do think this moment can be a catalyst for so many people. I, you know, I share my work and I share my story because I don't want people to go through the pain and suffering I went through. And, and a lot of people ask, well, if you could turn back time, would you not want it to have happened to you? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm really fortunate that it did. I'm grateful that it happened to me because it did help me shift my perspective on so much. But now I want to share it to say, hey, you don't have to go through something as extreme as I went through to make that pivot in your life, make that shift, that you can have some awareness as far as like, how am I living? How am I showing up at work? How am I leading? And do I want to continue leading this way? Because, you know, right now for me, the, my last bad day is becoming more of a, it's the day you decide to do life and career differently. A lot of people are like, well, are you talking about rainbows and unicorns and Skittles and all that jazz? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not preaching that. But I am preaching that last bad day is that day where you decide, okay, today and moving forward, I'm going to show up differently for this gift called life. I'm going to show up differently for the people I lead. And once we get there, that, that acceptance of here's a moment that we can step into, now we can start building some action plans to help us get there. So let's go there right now. So you've made this decision that you want to change. And now, how do you start the change? Like, what are some of the things that you need to do differently or to think differently in order to set yourself down a new path? Well, at the time when I had my big aha, I was like, all right, this is good. Big aha. Now what do I do? Like, because I didn't have a playbook. And we, back in 2001, we didn't have like TED.com or LinkedIn or Facebook to go to, to Google something. We didn't, I don't even think we had Google back then. So the one thing I did was I started to breathe more, which I know probably sounds like very cliche, but for me, what I knew is that if I wanted to heal my body, I had to heal my mind. And I think we forget about that when we 
go forth in our lives, especially at work. We know mindset is so important. You know, when we look at athletes or people who've overcome, people that have a lot of resilience, mindset is always a common denominator. And I think it's a common denominator for folks who are successful in life and at, and at work. So first and foremost, I connect with my breath more frequently than ever before. And I start my morning off completely differently after that moment. And so I use the breath as far as to be able to center myself, especially when we get that stress percolating and we feel like we're on that hamster wheel and now we're reacting instead of really connecting with the people around us. And I use a practice in the morning where I spend five to 10 minutes and I ask myself these three questions. How do I want to be today? What do I want to do? And what do I want to have more of? And it starts with the whole concept of be, do, have. Before my accident, I'm going to pull a page from the good Zig Ziglar. And he had this saying he would share with his audience. And it was, do, have, be. And I was living my life in the early days of my career. Do, hustle and grind, as we call it today. So then we can have more stuff, those external merit badges, the chasing happiness stuff that I talked about earlier. And then we'd be happy or be fulfilled or be successful. So I flipped that script, much like Zig did in his teachings, to ask those three questions every morning. How do I want to be? Maybe it's kind. Maybe it's empathetic. Maybe it's connected. Maybe it's to be a leader. What do I want to do? So great leaders tend to be very curious. I learned through my recovery that leadership is not about having the right answer. Sometimes it's more about having a better question. And then what do I want to have more of? And current day, it's all ties back to my values, like health and freedom and more kindness in the world. And some of those building blocks, I think, can lead to success, not only in life, but also our careers. That is so beautifully said. And I feel like when when I had my last bad day, which I was just about to go off to college. And I remember thinking that I could be whoever I wanted to be when I got there. I didn't have to be the person that I was in high school or that everyone expected me to be, but I could kind of actually be myself for the first time. And it was the same kind of mind shift of starting with who do I want to be in this world? So you just, you put words to like that experience that I had. Oh, that's very cool. My, my wife did the same thing when she left high school to college. She grew up in Oregon and came east for college, and she used it as a, a big identity shift. And I, I think this current moment, too, is perfect for all of us. We're going to come back to work, and we're going to come back to work with a new normal. I hope a better normal. And we can use it as, you know what? I've done a lot of thinking during this break, this work from home, leave from home break. And I thought, team, about how I've been leading. And I want to lead differently. I want to be a better leader for you. I want to be a better manager for you. And here are the thoughts that I've come up with. And I'd love to get your thoughts too, as far as what you've learned from this whole experience. And collectively, we can build something that's better for all of us. So we can be successful and we return on our stakeholder, shareholder value, which is part of most companies, every company, at least it should be. But we can also have that return that our personal lives and our family lives are also fulfilled, that we have better integration. Or maybe this whole work-life balance thing comes back into view, maybe with um, a different lens. So I think leaders today can use this moment to 
lead the way and role model the way to say, hey, you know what, through all this staying at home, working from home, I've decided I want to be a better leader. And here's what I'm thinking. And I'd love to hear from you. And let's co-create something together. Oh, I love that. So I want to go back to something we talked about a little bit earlier, which is this idea of mindsets. And I loved that the opening part of your book talks about these limiting beliefs and mindsets because they are so powerful and they really do impact all of your behavior all day long. And if you have a mindset that's going to stop you from going and moving in a direction you need to go, then you're just like fighting an uphill battle. So can you talk a little bit about some of those mindsets and the shifts that happen? Yeah, I think one of the things I love to talk about is the value of conversation. Now we're connecting differently nowadays. But the most important conversation we have every day is the one that we have with ourselves. And we have that frequently. If that's not healthy, if that's littered with a bunch of blocks, if you will, mindset blocks, then there's no way we can show up the way we really desire. We hold back and we sort of become small or become quiet. So there are four common mindset blocks as I look at it. One is basically a limiting belief, but where it's, you know, you think something is impossible until it happens. So a lot of folks, you know, current day, we're like, well, we can never work from home. And look at, we're, we're doing it. It's a little choppy, maybe in some circles, but we're doing it. So, and maybe there's also just limiting beliefs around what it means to be a leader. I had that limiting belief in the early part of my career where I thought, leaders had to have all the answer. And it was a more of a control or power over than power with. Then I realized, well, through one of my favorite mentors of all time, my favorite managers, that leadership is about being curious, asking good questions, and power with people as opposed to power over. Another limiting belief is just that interpretation. That's when we start to make stuff up. I call it MSUing, where we see something happening. It's like the tip of the iceberg. We're like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's happening with that employee or that person in our lives. But we only see the tip of the iceberg. We don't know everything below the water surface, all the thoughts and experiences and beliefs that make the person who they are. So when we stop short and just look at the tip of the iceberg and then draw conclusions after making stuff up, then we limit the possibilities of what could possibly be happening. It also limits our possibilities as a coach, sort of that coach leader when we make incorrect interpretations. So there's also just the whole concept of the powerful inner critic, which is happens to be one of the, the most powerful limiting beliefs. And that's the one that we feel like we're, we're just not enough. That's where shame comes into play. We're not smart enough. We're not fast enough if we happen to be in athletics. We may not be courageous enough to move forward and and ask for the things that we need to ask for, like our value, our, the money we earn, all that different stuff. And then the last one is assumptions, where we believe that because something happened in the past, it's bound to happen again. You know, it's almost like that repeat of that. So, well, why bother? I'll use dating as an example. Like, why bother asking that girl out or that boy out? Because the last time I asked someone out, they said no. So, why bother doing it again? They're bound to say no again. And so when we have that limiting belief on board, then we're not going to take action. We're not going to be as resilient as we need to be as we go through our lives and our careers. So those four, I can sort of categorize our limiting beliefs in those four categories. 
some are more powerful than others, but it all sort of gets to like the chatter in our head and the conversation that we have with ourselves. The healthier we can get it, the more success that we can have in life and really with our career and how we lead others. So is there like a trick or a way to start to recognize your own inner dialogue and when these limiting beliefs or that kind of little voice in your head is getting in the way. I feel like I've tried sometimes to be more aware than others, but it's hard, right? Because we're so used to hearing it that sometimes we forget that it's even there. Yeah. So that's a great, that's a great question because it's, it's a hard thing to pick up on. And back before my accident, my last bad day, I had no awareness whatsoever what what was in my head. You know, I felt it, right? Because when we have our stories working up in our head, we feel the stress in our body. You know, it affects our behavior, the whole concept of thoughts driving emotions, emotions driving behavior. So for me, like getting quiet, at least at different points during the day, allows us to hear what's popping into our head. I think that's for folks that have a mindfulness practice or maybe a meditation practice, they'll talk about how when they sit and they're quiet, all these things sort of pop into our head. And that, that's helpful. And a lot of people who start off with a mindfulness practice are like, well, I'm not doing it right. I should be, the, my mind should be blank. And I'm like, no, you really just sit and sort of take in and be aware of what's popping into your head. What are those different thoughts? Because all that chatter, all those thoughts are popping into your head normally. It's just everything is so loud because we're so connected. Like there's so much noise out there. It's hard to really hear what we're talking about. I think the other key thing is having the right people. So I use the word Peloton as a metaphor for your tribe, the people closest to you. And a Peloton, for those that don't know, is a basically the cyclists in a bike race like the Tour de France. All those cyclists need each other to go down the road as fast as possible and as safely as possible. And they all play different roles, but they all need each other. There's trust and collaboration and communication. They're pointing out different obstacles in the road, like a pothole, as an example. And I think we need a strong Peloton in our lives, in our careers. Those people that we can go to that can help us see what maybe we can't see, or maybe help us hear what we can't hear. So I have five different roles for a great Peloton. There's a person that can help you with clarity when you're stuck. Sometimes when we have a mindset block, we're stuck. There's someone there to help you during a crisis. We need someone who can comfort us, right, when we need comfort, someone to challenge us when we need to be challenged, and then someone to celebrate when we have a win. So those five roles can be really vital when we look at hey, what mindset are we showing up with? Especially that role of, hey, I'm going to challenge you. I might confront you. I want to try to push your thinking a little bit more to eliminate that block because I see that you have that block that you're, that you're wearing, that you're processing. It's that conversation you're having with yourself, but I can also pick up on that. So having the right people by our side, and I think that's one of the beautiful lessons from all of this. Like, who are we riding with in life in these precious moments that we all have, these moments that can be truly a catalyst for, you know, creating the lemonade out of all of our lemons. So I think one, quiet our mind to hear what we have in our head, and then having the right people around us to help us see or hear maybe what we can't in that given moment in time. So I completely agree, especially with the second piece of it, because 
it is so hard as a manager. I mean, one of the things I hear a lot of managers struggle with is that they don't have people to talk to, right? They can't talk to their team because they're supposed to be leading these people. And they can't talk to their boss because their boss doesn't want to hear about all their struggles and challenges. And they may or may not have a partner who really understands what they're going through at work or friends. And so surrounding yourself with the right people, whether that's by joining some sort of online community, but finding those people in your life. And I love how you broke it down into the roles so that you don't have to find one person who can be everything to you. Maybe your partner is a great person to celebrate with, but not the best person for comforting you because they just, they don't get the strength, the struggles that you're having. So breaking those out seems like it would be really helpful to find the right people to support you. Yes. And I think what you said about at work, like as a leader, you know, it's, it's lonely at the top. It's also lonely in the middle. You know, this whole notion of like, oh, I just, I'm going to be open with my boss or open, say with HR and my employees, a lot of leaders in the middle, a lot of leaders up on top. They're like, who do I talk to? So what they end up doing is pushing all the stress or all those different thoughts and emotions they pack them down. That's what I was doing when I was 33, right before my accident. I was in middle leadership and I was packing it down, packing it down, trying to repress it. I didn't know how to release it. And if we continue to do that with our stress and those different thoughts, eventually they bubble up and they bubble up when you don't want them to bubble up. So having the right people and also knowing that not everyone's going to be everything to you. And I learned this through my recovery. There's some people that came to my aid who just blew me away. It was, it was remarkable. And then there are people who I thought were going to be there for me and they didn't show up. And at first I was pretty bitter and angry toward them. But then I realized that their gift, their jam, if you will, wasn't to help me in the crisis, but they could be the one that could really challenge my thinking or help me clarify. And so instead of judging whether or not they showed up or not, I just tried to accept them and accept the gift that they can bring to our relationship. And it's good to know like, okay, who's around you? And also whose Peloton are you in, right? Because a Peloton is a two-way street. It's just not one way of, of us absorbing the gifts of others, but it's also sharing with others as well. So we have a Peloton of our own and we're probably in a whole bunch of different Pelotons. And if we wanna take this really meta and further, we're probably all riding in one big old Peloton as we look at life today. And so the actions of one definitely have a ripple or cascading impact into others. So unfortunately, we have to start to wrap up. I feel like we could go on forever, but can you tell us about one of the amazing managers that you had the privilege and pleasure of working for and what made that person so fantastic? Yes. His name is Bill Sheldon and I write about him in my book. He was the president of our company, most of my career spent at a Japanese healthcare company, global, based in New Jersey, Tokyo, worldwide. And Bill was the president in the US. And during my accident, I really learned a whole bunch about leadership from him. He would come and visit me every other weekend and he would just sit and talk. And at first I was like, what are you doing? You have so many important things to do at the office. Why are you spending time here? You know, and I was the middle-level leader, so I was sort of in the, in the big crowd, if you will. And what he shared with me and what he showed and demonstrated through his leadership is that he was willing to take the time to see me and to hear me and to feel what I felt, right? Because I was sharing things about my struggle that probably would make 
a leader uncomfortable. Sometimes we don't want to get too personal. And he showed me that you can do that as a leader. You can see and hear all your employees. You can feel them. You can spend the time with them. That spending time with your folks just on that emotional level is some of the most valuable time we can spend. Too often leadership is transactional. And what have you done for me lately? And what he showed me back then was leadership is not transactional. It's, re- it's relationship-based. And taking time to make those connections are so essential, so vital for our long-term happiness and success, not only at work, but really in life. And I'll, I'll never forget the gift he's given me. Amazing. And where can people learn more about you, Michael, and your work? One-stop discovery. So it's one website, michaelobrienshift.com. And there they can get my new workbook, which is a Better Life workbook, or sign up for my weekly blog that comes out every Sunday and just learn a little bit more about my last bad day and that accident and how it helped me change my perspective on a whole bunch of things. And I hope it inspires others to do the same. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights that you have gained. I personally love this stuff, so I just really enjoyed our conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to be on, and I hope uh, you stay healthy and have great success going forward. What a crazy story, right? Well, if you want to learn more, Michael has provided a discount on his book, My Last Bad Day Shift, to members of the Modern Manager community. I've read this book and it is fantastic. To join, go to themodernmanager.co slash join. And while you are there, you can learn all about the various membership levels, which again, include all kinds of perks like group coaching, one-on-one coaching, access to the Modern Manager Slack community, and so much more. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Go to themodernmanager.co to subscribe. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.